welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. High school football is back in Augusta County. The Yak Sports Podcast is here to talk about it. I'm Leela McRae. Joe Deck with me like always. Joe, let's just jump into this. And selfishly, I'm going to start where I was. I was at Riverheads uh, calling the game for the NFHS Network. And Riverheads played Waynesboro and beat them 55 to 14. That said, watching it live in person, I thought I came away from that game kind of with positive things to say about Waynesboro. When you talk about a program that just a year ago was, you know, will they win a game in the spring? They did. Uh, They're coming off winless seasons. You know, they don't have enough kids to play. For them to have as many pieces to this puzzle, as many guys standing on the sideline as they had right now, I'm energized about what Waynesboro could be uh, in this in this district in this season and uh, I'm not limited to just what they can do in the Shenandoah district I think you know in their valley district non-district games that they have towards the end of the season I, I think they're going to be a threat and I am uh, really encouraged by what uh, Waynesboro has provided for this football season so far even even though they got beat by you know 40 <laughs> I, I still think I, I, there was still positives to pull from that game yeah uh, I think you know, for Waynesboro, I think, you know, we touched on it at, during our football preview last week, but that wasn't a game that Waynesboro's looking necessarily to win on the scoreboard. You're looking for positives to pull away for the rest of the season. And it sounds like you saw it there for Waynesboro, which is great. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be big for them to build on. I, I think yeah. we didn't get to see a Stanton last week. We didn't get to see uh, – we had, still haven't seen a lot of uh, – Stewart's draft, but I don't think that's a game that you look at as <laughs> yeah. a potential win. But, um, you know, in terms of a Stanton or, uh, you know, maybe a Buffalo Gap, Buffalo Gap plays James River. It's hard to take away a lot there. Um, but some of these other games that we away. touched on for yeah. Waynesboro, a fort, you know, we saw them. All of a sudden, those games that we saw, yeah, maybe maybe Waynesboro can find a way. I, I mean, if I'm guessing, if I'm from what I've heard about teams what i saw from last year knowing who's coming back you know referencing a lot of what our preview said you know waynesboro has this quarterback blake jones who's a tall guy back there good decision making a lot of ability throws a really good ball um his ability to punt the football was absolutely special uh from the quarterback position just doing a drop back a couple extra steps and then punt it away and pin him inside the 20 very handy to have they're going to beat some teams this year i mean i i would i would tell Stanton and Fort right now watch out because Waynesboro has some talent on that team and then and then the other weapons so that you know he's getting the ball to outside to gamble um Ryan Barber was a solid running back even in the first half when he wasn't scoring touchdowns he still was finding a way to get positive yards so against worse teams than Riverheads that's going to be very useful uh then he did break away two long runs in the in the late in the game against you know Riverhead second string but still like he he was there to do it and and he ran where he's supposed to and ran to the end zone um DeAndre Clark, I, I just, I liked a lot of what I saw from, from Waynesboro, so I want to commend them. But then turning to the other side, you know, Riverheads comes out and, and does what they're supposed to do. They put up 50 points against a lesser team. As much credit as I'm giving Waynesboro, they, they came out and put 50 points up on a lesser team. I like the way they did it. You know, last season, Bennett Dunlap didn't throw for 100 yards until that state championship game. I love in game one that Bennett Dunlap has thrown for 100 yards through two touchdowns to Landon Leitner. I like I like that for Riverheads, so teams going to play them have to think about the throw and the pass, the, the, the pass and the run. Everybody, 
always focus on the run, and Riverheads usually can just beat you with their run. But if they have to watch out for that pass, it's, it's a lot dangerous. And I'm not saying Riverheads has been unable to pass in recent years. I just like showing that early right here and, and making that be something for teams to think about as they, as they play. And I just don't mind, you know, two 100-yard rushers and a 100-yard passer, um, you know, in contrast to what you usually see in Riverheads, like three or four 100-yard rushers. I, I, I don't mind that. I, I think it's interesting, especially with a junior quarterback, thinking maybe you get multiple years of this. Yeah. You don't, you don't have any disagreement with that? Of course you don't. I mean, it's a balanced offense. You, you got to like it. I, I just don't have anything to say. I mean, I don't, yeah. this isn't the game I'm judging, uh, judging Riverhead's season on. So. Well, I like, I, I've watched enough Riverhead's football where you can kind of see the, them build the team throughout the year and peak at the right time. I like, I know that's their approach still. I'm not saying that's not their approach. I like that passing is, was as much of a part of this early in the season, uh, it makes me feel very confident ab- about the confidence Coach Castro has and what Caden Cook Cash and, and uh, Cole Burton, who had a great game, and what Aiden Miller going to do for him, that, that he's really trying to work his passing game out this early, that he doesn't think he needs the, to use those plays on the bread and butter. I think he, he thinks he has his bread and butter set already. Um, going back to the Buffalo Gap game, James River, you know, that was – if you just watch the scores coming in, you see that's 14, seven and a half. And you kind of think, well, James river hasn't been a special team, but then gap does pull away in the end. But when, when I go back and watch it, I went on the NFHS network and watch James river return the opening kickoff. So all, so what I take away from that game is Buffalo gap just pitched a shutout against a, a team that's capable, you know, that James River's not a bottom of the barrel team. You know, this isn't a bottom of the barrel pioneer district team. This is a, a team that can play. And so I, I think that gives me a little bit of positive, about Buffalo Gap's defense, but it does come back to looking down the schedule for this week. Gap playing Larray. I think I said it last week that this game is really going to tell me what I think Gap can do this season. I think this is that circle game that we talked about last week that, you know, not that I think Larray is some world beater in the bull run district, but I, I think they're a well-coached team that has talent. I think this game's going to really tell me what I expect from Buffalo Gap uh, the rest of the regular season. Yeah, and I guess I'm, you know, to let people behind the curtain a little bit, I'm looking at your note for the Larray game, and I see what that says. I guess the difference is they pitched an actual things. they pitched an actual shutout versus your basic shutout, basically being a shutout where it's thirty to seven. Larray pitched an actual shutout, so but like that's Stonewall. Okay, well Mountain View one, but two. <laughs> um, they they don't they can change the name. All they want, it, it's still going to lose. It doesn't matter if it's okay. Well, you said gonna, basically, yeah, but you said when I went back and watched, <laughs> Buffalo Gap basically pitched a shutout. Well, okay, Larray scored twice as many points and pitched an actual shutout, not basically a shutout, an actual shutout versus a virtual shutout. I guess this fair it, enough. I, I I do put James River higher in my my internal rankings than I do uh, Mountain View. That's fine. I don't think James River's any good. So I don't give any respect to that. I think 14 to 7 and a half means Buffalo Gap slept walk through a half and played better in the second half. Um, well, we've watched plenty of football teams in our life that don't always look better in the second half. That's so. fair. And you know what? To their credit, they did play better in the second half. In an in a opener. Yeah. So we'll see what they do against Larray. Like you said, though, for like you have on your notes for the Larray game, I, this game means nothing to me. Beating James River 30-7 to is what you're supposed to do. Okay. Fair enough. 
double endowment, this Loray game will mean something I like. Watching highlights from Loray, I didn't see a lot of size on that team. I think that's where Gap will probably um, seek a yeah. advantage against Loray. I think they're going to look to run the ball a lot like Gap does, Fair. and they're going to need that push. So I think if you're at that Gap game this week and you're not seeing push early, watch out. Um, but if you are seeing that push, then, then you know, plan to be happy. I, I think that's where it just comes down to line of scrimmage for Gap year after year. I think it's this Loray game. I think that's the first thing to watch this time. It's not – you know, what quarterback for Larray is going to do or what fast weapon they have in a running back because a lot of those names that you're used to from Larray are gone. I think it's just watching that line, and that's going to tell you early what's going to happen in that ball game. Uh, the other local game that we did have uh, able to get played throughout, Turner-Ashby, Fort Defiance. Yeah, I mean, TA absolutely manhandled Fort Defiance. The only thing I really take away from that is I, I just would have liked seen Fort to put up a better fight, and, and they didn't. I just absolutely smashed. They let the opening kickoff get returned on them and then gave up a bunch of points thereafter. Um, I, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of different weapons at Fort Defiance. Uh, even in the preseason when we're going down through names of guys we know from last year and that you, you were, I didn't have many names on the notes. And then even after this first game, I'm not really adding any names to the notes. So uh, I'm worried about Fort a little bit. I, I know last week I said, I'm more worried about Stanton than anybody. Uh, I think my worry for Fort has probably increased a little bit because this is a game I would have at least liked to seen a pretty good fight in them to make me think they can get towards 500. I, I'm I'm worried about that for them. Yeah, I don't. Looks like it's going to be a rough year for Fort Defiance. I I agree. I'd say, I hate to write it away in one game, but game two against Liberty uh, out of Bedford there. That's not going to be. That's not better. what you like to wake up to after a, a butt whooping uh, from, you know, your neighbor. You don't want to go down the road and uh, have that happen to you either. So uh, we'll see if it gets any better there for them. Stewart Straff, William Monroe, as, at the point of recording this podcast, that game has been post, you know, they tried to play Saturday. Then they got pushed to Monday night. And then it's got pushed again. And I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I didn't, I feel like if the answer was Tuesday and they're trying to move the game from Friday to Saturday, we'd have already heard that. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Keep up with Patrick Height uh, on what's happening there because uh, we will find out when you do. Um, so looking outside of our county, uh, what stood out to you? What, what's, what's something out there that stood out to you that caught your eye with scores? Um. I'll let you touch the other one that I know you want to talk about, but Strasburg only beating Skyline 14 to eight is not great for Strasburg. I don't think Skyline's going to be a super good football team this year. So for me, I think what I take away from that is kind of what we touched on in our season preview for Stewart's draft. Hey, we know this team is, you know, probably second best in the Shinduit district what does that mean when they get into 2b i think that means they're going to be a a, a favorite I, I strasburg was the team i looked at as probably the best challenger to them or a, one of the best challengers and they got a game where they beat skyline but skyline is not good and we have seen riverheads go up there and just blow the doors off them so well i think riverheads is better than a than a strasburg I mean, Skyline was a playoff team last year. In a year that had less playoff teams than, you know, half as many playoff teams, they were a, they were a five and two team. They were, you know, five and one going into the playoffs. Um, I guess I need to see who so, they played. I, I I didn't pay attention to that, I guess. Um, I, yeah. I, 
we'll I don't know. See. Central Woodstock is the team I'm going to say that made a statement yeah. last year. Skyline handled uh, Central Woodstock 49-13. So oh, I, I still think them, Skyline's man. as bad as as you're just assuming they are. I, I think Strasburg's solid. I think Strasburg's a, a well coached team. It seems like they're they yearly just kind of pop up. They're still in the mix. They're not just terrible. Uh, sure, we see a lot of our teams take them out in the playoffs, but I I, I think Strasburg is probably just going to be there, and I think they're probably fine not having the the target on their back. I think Central Woodstock, I think they put the target on their back. You know, you tap Page County, be the TV three, um, you know, preseason favorite. You had Cody having them in the DNR as the preseason favorite for the bull run. And Central Woodstock just comes out and kicks them in the face. I mean, 49-15, it was their game the entire time. They Central Woodstock treated Page County like what we're used to Page County being. And I think Page County's improved. They probably still make playoffs or something and have good. And, I, and I'm for that. I'm, I'm happy for Page no, to be yeah. not a winless team. Great on Solstice getting them there. But Central Woodstock just didn't pay attention to the hype and came out there and made an absolute statement. I think of all the games that happened this, this weekend, I think that was where a statement was made. That was two teams that are projected to be decent, you know, good enough. And one of these teams could probably win the district and, and one just got their doors blown off of them. So it's credit to central coach. You has them go in there. You know, that's a, that's a program that's used to doing some winning, May, not December winning, but getting into the playoffs and, and, and making some noise. And I, you know, that's, that's my favorite for the bull run district now. And I think I was kind of saying, what about Central last week? So I don't think I'm late to this party. I, I just think Central proved it on their own. Yeah, Central looked pretty good. I, I think they're going to be uh... – and maybe that's the team, right, that Draft needs to worry about. But Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's not Paige. We know that. I don't think it's Paige. All right, right, so looking ahead, we talked about a lot of these. Gap uh, hosting Loray, Riverheads hosting Perry McClure. I'll be on the call there. Um, you know, it's the old rivalry. Glad they're getting that back again. Fort Defiance going to Liberty Bedford. They've only played once before, and that was a close game for Fort Defiance. I just don't think Fort Defiance is where they were when that was a close game a couple years ago. Um, Stanton-Covington. So this will be Stanton's first game. They finally get a chance to get going here. Uh, they play Covington. I think that is an easier matchup than they would have had against Wilson. Uh, so... I think if you want, if hey Stanton, if you want me to shut up and and say I'm not as worried about you or something, go out there and, and beat the heck out of Covington. You know, treat treat them like a Covington. Um, I I think it's probably a competitive game, but even a win that would be nice because even with the win here, I'm still concerned about how many wins they're going to have an opportunity for. So um, I think that's I think that's a very interesting game just to watch the score, just so we know what's going on with our local teams. Yeah, I think I think you're right on your note here that it it's a must win for Stanton. If you're yeah. if you're gonna have a win, this is this is maybe the one. Take, take advantage. Here you go. And Covington's not some trash 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 team, uh, but you need to treat them yeah, like that. You need good. to act like yeah. you are supposed to win this game. You need to know how you can go in there and win. Uh, Coach Phillips is familiar with the Covington program, so he he should have them ready. Uh, Waynesboro, Stuart Straff. Now, Stuart Straff did get uh, a quarter and a half in against William Monroe, but they only had seven points on the board, and um, they gave up a long pass for a touchdown, but their defense otherwise was keeping them kind of contained. I, After seeing what Stuart Straff did for a quarter and a half in a game that I assume they'd have come back and played the rest of the half and won in the second half and, and probably pulled away from William Monroe, that's what I would assume. Still saying that. 
I, I don't think Wayne, Waynesboro gets beat as bad this coming week as they did last week. And that's not necessarily saying Stuart Strath's some lesser. I just think they didn't get a whole game in. What I saw wasn't perfect. And I think Waynesboro, you know, probably is hearing some voices this week saying, you know what, we have some good pieces. And, and they might walk with a little more confidence. And, and I think Blake Jones will keep them, you know, in that game longer than you would just expect Stuart Strath to win. Do I think Stuart Strath's going to win this game? Yes. Do I think they'll win by multiple scores? Yes. But I don't think it'll be by 40. I don't think Stuart Strath runs away and just blows the door off Waynesboro. I think the battle of the ball here will be competitive for at least at least a half, if not three quarters. I hope you're Man, right. A half, a half, a half. I was going to say, <laughs> I hope you're right. I... I don't know if I share your optimism for that being a close game that long, but I hope you're right. You did see yep. Waynesboro. I did not, so I will give you that. Um, and it is technically an opener for Stewart's draft, but I think they're well coached, and that's that's why I yeah. Give them no, that. I don't I, doubt I that. I I they, agree with you. I think Waynesboro they, that, is very well coached. That those coaches have gotten players on the team. Number one, that's in high school. That's the number one thing you got to do. I mean, this is a team that sparked our conversation a year and a half ago talking about video games and, and, and the VHSL and stuff. And yeah. we were referencing that talking about Waynesboro. This coach made all that stuff disappear. We got players now let's go play. And he's got some good ones. I, I think Waynesboro is going to be a problem in this district for, for more teams than they're not. I th- I don't think there's a lot of 40 point losses ahead of them. I just think the uh, defense think has got to be better. The defense has to be better. They got to be better, but they played the best offense in, the, in our area. Yeah. So I fair, uh, um, as, as good as, as Waynesboro's coach, I, I think Riverhead's maybe better coached. Um, I appreciate Waynesboro though. They, they saw early pressure from Riverhead started running the screens. They, they adjusted to more stuff after that. I, I, I give them credit. And then we finally get to see Wilson get out on the field. They'll play Monticello. And this is that, you know, really hot matchup. You know, when I say a game that tells us about one of our local teams talking about Stanton and Covington, Here's two teams in class three that are trying to make the playoffs. And I don't think I'm saying that up there for Stanton. Here's Wilson and Monticello trying to get in the same region three C playoffs. And uh, they're playing here in game one for uh, Wilson. And I I'm very interested to see what Wilson comes out with. I want to see good play out of that quarterback. Yeah. This is, this is an important game for this, for these teams, because as you said, It's a potential playoff spot on the line. Unfortunately, I think for Wilson, it's it's also the opener. I, I that yeah, is. Yeah, it would have been nice if they could have gotten a game under their belts. Yeah, because now, I it just worries me in that sense, right? Like I, I just. You'd like to have those early season jitters out of the way. Yeah, this is this this is a game where you really I don't think you can afford to be working out too many kinks in the first quarter. Like, I think you kind of need to hit the ground running because this is going to be a tough game. Uh, Monticello lost last week to Rustburg. Rustburg, a very solid program down there. They lost 53 to 13. So but they they probably got their the rust knocked off their heads last week against Rustburg. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to watch those score come Friday night. Um, So. That's what we'll have. Um, but yeah, overall though, my main takeaway from Friday, I'm just glad, I'm just glad we had football. I, you know, I'm just glad we had football. I'm gonna probably say that every week. I'm, I'm glad to have sat there on Friday night. The weather was pretty good. I, it was nice. All right. 
local high school volleyball, and I'm going to focus here on Fort Defiance because they had a good good first week. They beat uh, Turner Ashby uh, last week, who's a solid volleyball program, and then they went to this Fluvanna tournament and swept through that with some decent teams there. Uh, so Fort Defiance, you know, picking up right where they used to be in these last years now for the Indians. This week they do play Rockbridge, and we talk about Fort Defiance every year still playing in that, you know, in that 3C, it, it seems to always come down to Rockbridge. So right now we will see uh, this week on Thursday night what Fort has for Rockbridge this year. They, they were able to compete with them last year. Uh, we'll see if, you know, uh, Laney Goggin can spike them to victory or something against Rockbridge and get over that hump. I, we'll see. Yeah, but Thursday's a big night for them. But it is nice to see them get off to a good start. And I think that's not the surprising thing, right? Like this no. this Rockbridge matchup is going to be the one where we learn a lot. We know we kind of expected Fort Defiance to be the class of the Shenandoah District in volleyball. We touched on that last week. The question is, when they get in the region, what happens? Well, this is a preview for that. This is the region, yeah. All right, let's get out of the A block, and let's just go on and get Mike Barber on here. We have a lot of NCAA football to talk about, and uh, let's get to Mike. All right, next on the Exports Podcast, we welcome back Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. The 11th time you've been on with us, you're, you're... you're up there in the rankings of, of on here the most. Uh, some of our a couple of local guys have you beat out, but uh, you're, you definitely are um, from not in Augusta County. You're, you've been on here the most. <laughs> well, that's that's a pretty nice honor because uh, not everybody always wants you back when you when you do their <laughs> show. We know from from doing our own podcast that sometimes you have somebody on and you think, OK, we'll never do that again. So <laughs> the fact that you guys keep inviting me back is a good sign. We've, we've had very few of those. I'm not going to say none, but we've had very few of those. So uh, we're lucky. Uh, maybe that's because we keep having the same people on 11 times. Um, <laughs> uh, so I want to get started. And I guess I just want to start with the elephant in the room before we dig into the, the, the stuff we want to talk about. Um, COVID and its impact uh, that it, we've been through and looking forward. Um, I noticed in the press conferences from this morning on Monday, um, you, you were following along with those and, and telling us what Coach Fuente from Tech and uh, what uh, Coach Bronco said there at UVA. And um, I noticed Bronco Mendehall said that they had everybody vaxxed except three kids who had special special exemption. And uh, so they were, you know, highly percentage vaxxed on the team. Um, that's a great thing. Great thing to hear when you talk about uh, the procedures and everything. But I just wondered your thoughts and and – and from that, and, and did we hear some similar numbers from Tech or, or you know, uh, equivalent facts, even if it's not the as good as UVA's there? What what are we talking there uh, for these two teams and how they're approaching COVID? Yeah, I think both programs are in really great shape and, and, and have coaches who um, took the right tact. You, you know, um, it, it's, it's hard. You, you don't want to push your beliefs on people, but I think we're to the point where it's not really about beliefs. It is about science, and also it's about – the safety of your program, right? If you're a coach, yeah, you want everybody to be able to do what they want to do, but you also got to keep everybody else in your program safe. And, you know, both coaches have been vaccinated. They explained to their players why it's important, but guys, the big thing was the schools took it out of the coaches' hands, which the coaches appreciated. The school said, you can't come back to campus unless you're vaccinated. So now if you're the coach, unless there's somebody who has 
an exemption or an argument that, that you have to sit down. And for the coaches, it was pretty simple. Like they can say, hey, guys, here's the rules. You need to be vaxxed before you come back. I mean, it, to me, it's no different than, you know, in high school, getting your physical before you can show up for the first day of tryouts or that kind of stuff. Um, and I think both Virginia and Virginia Tech were football programs were lucky to have schools that came out and made that. So it, it didn't end up being the coach's decision and nobody could criticize the AD or, or whoever it was. Hey, it was out of their hands. You want to come back to campus, get vaccinated. And, you know, Justin Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall both said back when we were in Charlotte at ACC media days, they think this might be a competitive advantage for the Virginia programs because other schools don't have the same requirement. It's about 50, 50 in the ACC and you're far more likely, as we know, to have an outbreak, to have an issue if you're not all vaccinated. And now you're Virginia and Virginia Tech, and, and certainly, you know, there's variance and there's breakthrough and all that. But for the most part, these programs feel pretty good that they're going to be able to get to the field 12 times. And, hey, guys, the ACC went and announced their policy. Yeah. If you're the team that can't take the field because of COVID, that's on you and you forfeit. So UVA, Virginia Tech, they're in a great spot from that point of view of – it's probably not going to be them. And if there is a game wiped out, they're going to end up with a W that week. Is that based on geography when you were talking about the schools that are requiring it and not? There's a little geography. There's also a public and private component. Okay. Um, it was a little bit all over the map. It's interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see because if you're a school that didn't require it, and if you're a program that then, you know, just because the school didn't require it, the coach could. But if you're a program that didn't require it, and then you end up forfeiting a game or gasp even two, mm-hmm. what are people's reactions going to be, right? Like there's a very vocal people, oh, you know, you shouldn't force these kids to be vaccinated. Well, when their favorite team loses a football game, then they're going to be all over those coaches, right? Why didn't you protect your team the way other people did? And um, it's that ugly intersection of, of politics and sports, but it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how it plays out and just selfishly, I'm happy that the two schools I cover, uh, I can expect them to take the field every weekend. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. I, I guess my rebuttal to that would be they didn't they didn't get on NC State for not being vaccinated when they had to forfeit a baseball game. It was more at the NCAA for making them have to forfeit the game. And I was like, yeah, if only there was some way they could have, you know, avoided this <laughs> potential. Oh, there's That's no how doubt, I felt, but, but there's going to be people. I mean, they'll, they'll bend over backwards to find ways, I'm sure. Is Clemson one of those programs? I guess this is that's the team in the ACC that has the best chance of going to a playoff. Is that a team that does not require to be vaccinated? I'm trying to remember. I don't think Clemson was on the list of requiring. Yeah, uh, I should have pulled it up before I came here. I can't remember that's who okay. was who, but <laughs> I yeah. Could have also I, done um, that. But yeah, no. I, it's, it's 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 such an interesting topic because it was a split mm-hmm. geographically that there were some from the north, some from the south. There was some private, some public. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds and. Um, somebody's going to, guys, somebody is going to forfeit a game this year. Oh, yeah. I'd be yeah. stunned if that doesn't happen. Um, and, and certainly the expectation would be it's a program that doesn't have the high vaccination rate. Well, yeah, I, I guess COVID when we're all scared of, of talking about week after week this week. I, you know, we'd all love it if there isn't a team that doesn't um, forfeit. But I, already locally high school, we, we've been saying it the last couple of weeks, COVID's going to have an impact on the season. COVID's have an impact on the season. We've already had one local high school game pushed to the end of the year. Um, we had another program that uh, didn't, you know, had to push a day just to get back from a pause. And then now weather has killed them ever since. So, like, we're already seeing 
you know, it's not just weather that's canceling games anymore. And, and it's, it's going to be crazy for sure. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And then the hope is just that, you know, we have a quote unquote normal, you know, as close to normal as you can get season. I think that's just, <laughs> that's all we want really. For sure. All right. So looking at these teams, I'll let, I'll let Joe bring up the team. I, I don't want to hear about as much. So I'll bring up Virginia tech. Uh, I was watching your comments today and coach Puente said plenty of different things. I think the news that kind of popped out today that I took most interest in wasn't quotes from his press conference. It was the depth chart coming out. And uh, I looked through that and, you know, a lot of the names I expected at different spots. I'm not going to say I was sitting there surprised at anything, any specific names in particular, a couple little, okay. Um, But the fact that we have no seniors in starting position, and I say we, uh, for Virginia Tech, uh, there's no seniors in, in starting positions there. And I, it really was eye-opening to me. And, and there's there's two week, two ways of approaching that. One, man, that really shows these transfer outs and, and these guys that we haven't kept in our program. It really, that shows there. But there's a positive way to swing it of, hey, if you do have any kind of success this year with this team, if you have, a, you know, a bowl season and, and maybe plus a couple wins or something this year, you could really build some momentum going into next year. And and me, the optimist, is, is really going to try to ride that train. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think it's also important to remember that the word senior doesn't mean what it used to mean yeah. because because that year didn't count. So Lasita Smith, he would be a senior. Brock Hoffman would be a senior. Uh, Silas Zanzi would be a senior. J- uh, James point. Mitchell. Yeah. So, so in terms of experience and veteran, they've got guys back on, on this roster. Um They've just got the opportunity to maybe keep them for another year, which is pretty awesome. And, and I agree, you know, the, the depth chart was what I expected. Um, the, the only thing that jumped out to me was, was that right guard position, right? Where Caden Moore, who's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a freshman. Um, I think we had heard so much all camp about, and I was completely on, on this train, that there wasn't much depth. Like Virginia Tech had five or six really good linemen, and that was it. And now – I mean, Johnny Jordan, the transfer from Maryland, isn't even in the starting five as we get that depth chart. Um, Caden Moore is at the right guard spot. So now if you put Caden Moore in, okay, well, now you're looking six or seven linemen you feel good about. Well, we also heard a ton about Parker Clements, the freshman tackle, uh, who's on the two deep, not in the starting lineup. Well, now you've got seven guys that apparently you should feel pretty good about. And to me, that is a huge step because to have that third tackle to have that third guard, it means that if something happens, you're not playing Jenga, right? You're not moving pieces out and pulling and hoping it doesn't all fall over. You've got guys that you can plug and play. And um, to me, that's a really big development. And, and you know, I asked Justin uh, that this morning. I, I asked him, we went into spring worried about depth. We ended spring worried about depth. We opened fall worried about depth. We end camp, how do you feel? And he said, you know, we made strides. And the, the way he said it to me, he said, we've made about as many strides as we could. It, it went as well as possible in terms of developing backup. So uh, that was the thing when I looked at that depth chart. I said, okay, if you're a tech fan, that's that's good news right there. We'll take what we can get when we can get it. <laughs> no, no doubt, especially this time of year, right? Everybody just wants the good news. Yes. All right, so staying with Virginia Tech, uh, they, they play UNC this week, and UNC is one of those teams that's, you know, favored to have success this season in the ACC, especially in the coastal. Um, 
I, you know, I, I keep trying to talk, you know, cause I, I, I always am going to find a way how I think Virginia Tech's going to win from your point of view. What, what's, what's a key or two that we need to look at in this game that we can see in the first half that is, is going to give us confidence that Virginia Tech can actually win this game. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think they can win. Second of all, I don't think we know what either of these teams are. I mean, yeah, I understand North Carolina is number 10. You know, I'm an AP voter. I think I had them 12, but we, we expect them to be good. What does that mean? Like, I always think those things should wait three or four weeks anyway, because you don't know that they're the number 10 team in the country. I think Virginia Tech is going to be a lot better than last year. And um, so I don't know what this matchup is, but from an X's and O's standpoint, I know that Sam Howell is back. I know that he is the kind of quarterback who can come to the line of scrimmage and dissect what you're doing, um, kind of like Peyton Manning, certainly not at that level, but that's the way he runs that offense. He can come to the line, and if you cheat up or, or show your coverage too early, he knows exactly where to go with the football. So that puts a little bit of a strain on opposing defense. Now, I look at a Virginia Tech defense, guys that I think is going to make an astronomical jump this year, right? Like, I think they were a mess last year, a hot mess, and for a lot of reasons, a new coordinator not having spring ball, a disjointed fall camp, guys in and out of the lineup. I don't think that it's fair to think like, okay, here was the 2020 defense, so they'll get a little better. Here's 2021. I think you throw 2020 out the window. I think they have a chance to be much better defensively. Now, they need to stay healthy. That's my question with this tech defense for the season, but they're going to be healthy for game one. (laughs) They're going to be healthy Friday night against Carolina. So I think they're starting defensive ends can disrupt Sam Howell's timing. I think their starting corners can play. And I think Carolina, remember that they've got two wide receivers who are in the NFL, two running backs who are in the NFL. Now, they've got good, talented kids. They're plugging in those spots, but we don't know anything about them. So um, I don't think it's a stretch if you're trying to find a reason why Tech will win this game. Hey, they're at home. They've got a really good first 11 on both sides of the ball. Um, and I think Carolina has some question marks. Now, I did pick Carolina to win the Coastal. I think Carolina will win a close ball game Friday night. But to me, this this is closer to a coin flip game than it is a lopsided blowout game. What, one of my good friends who I've been more measured on my tech optimism in the last year plus, uh, he said, you know, I just had this feeling. He says, I, 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 think, I think we beat UNC. I think we're just going to go out there and win this game. And then we're going to lose to Richmond. And I said, okay, that's, that's the only way that I'll accept what you just said is that you at least are, are grounded enough to know that we'll stub our toe against a lower opponent. Well, at least you don't have East Carolina. That's usually the, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you get a big one, you throw it. But no, I, in, in jokingly, but I kind of disagree in the sense of, I think if Tech beats Carolina, they are set up for a real run. I don't think they're going to beat Carolina in a fluke, right? Like I think, Tech is going to be pretty good this year. I think Carolina is going to be pretty good. And if Tech is the better football team, then I think they're in position to make a run for the Coastal. Now, the problem and the flip side of that coin is if you lose this game, even if you play well, I don't really see the path to that Coastal Division title, right? If you start week right. one yeah. and you're both good and we, we believe in both of you and Carolina wins that game, man, that's a really rough road now. Um you know, now if they both come out and play terribly and look like horrible teams, maybe it doesn't matter. And we're just going to have coastal chaos again. Maybe it doesn't matter. But my belief is that the winner of this game um, is in the driver's seat, certainly for the division, and will have earned it because I think these are two pretty darn good teams. 
Yeah, and it's not like UNC, they don't have Clemson sitting over there or, or something else, you know, a hard game that Tech doesn't have that you can hope to even right. back up with them if you don't get that win, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, certainly Miami is the third one in the, in the triumvirate, but I put yeah. Tech right yeah. there, and um, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and, you know, we've seen it, right, the, the, the years leading up to, you know, last year we didn't have divisions, but the previous seven years, seven different coastal champions. So it certainly could be another you know, mediocre year where somebody rises to the top of, of kind of a not great division. But I tend to think that Carolina, Miami, and Tech are pretty good. And whoever rises to the top of that is going to do so in, in pretty impressive fashion. I, I like most of what you've said, so I'll, I'll take that. Other, <laughs> other than you picking UNC to win, which okay. <laughs> I, I get, uh, I like your optimism because I, I don't get that uh, when I, I'm, you know, hosting this podcast with Joe Deck. So no, you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get hit with some not optimism. And I guess, did you? Was I the only one that met Justin Fuentes like UNC corners? will lock you up at the line and they had a guy in a headlock last year. I know he's joking, but a little bit, but was I the only one caught by surprise? Cause I'm like, well, we did score 45 points. So I don't think it was the corners jamming us at the line. That was the problem last year. Like I think you touched on the defense being the problem. Did you think that was an odd question or, or odd you statement? Know it's hard. It wasn't because it came up in the flow of things. The, the thing with comments like that, or they kind of read like, oh, Justin Fuente grabbed somebody in the hallway to be like, hey, remember last year they had some of our receivers holding at the line and it didn't get caught. It wasn't like that. You know, the question was about what do you see from their secondary, particularly Tony Grimes, who's a Virginia kid. Um, and Justin's point was they do play a very physical jam you at the line style. And there was a clip. I can't remember who the receiver was, but the DB basically got him around the, the top of the helmet. Uh, but Justin also said he likes that the ACC calls games that way. The ACC is known for... Um, letting corners get away with having their hands on receivers, getting receivers, um, get, letting receivers get away a little bit with pushing off and creating some space. And um, the ACC is known for letting the outside play a little more physical. And, and Justin's point was he likes that. He doesn't want that to change, but that if his guys go out there expecting Carolina to play four yards off and, and hands off, yeah, it, it ain't going to happen. So he, his point was, hey, this is the way Carolina plays. And in this conference, they let us play this way. And that's the way I want my receivers to play. And that's the way he wants his corners to play. So I think when you see a tweet, like I tweeted out the quote, and it, it, it looks almost like whining or working the refs in advance, but it's not. Like Justin's like, this is the way the game's played. And if our receivers, especially the young receivers, go out there thinking they're going to have room to operate, it's just not going to be the way this game goes. Okay. I, I didn't even take it that way as him whining. I, I took it as him like complimenting UNC, like, hey, they play physical. They do a good job of jamming at the line. And I'm like, oh, they must not have done a great job because we scored 45 <laughs> points. But well, um, and last year was such a wacky game. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of those points were, were late. But yeah, you're right. It, it, um, if Virginia Tech does offensively what they did last year, <laughs> they're going to be in great shape. But yeah, um, yeah defense is, is where it's got to change. And, and I do believe it will. I mean, look at the last two matchups with UNC. I mean, I, I, I think that's why I, I take to heart you saying this is going to be a close ball game because these just last two games have been crazy. Two years ago was that overtime, 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 overtime game. And then last year they got way out on us, and then we, we fought back and scored a lot of points. Like, and it was a, a competitive game um, throughout. I mean, you know, once we started coming back. So uh, it yeah, looked more I, competitive at the end than it was, I think, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, still like there was fight in the, in the game, I guess yes. I'm saying, and, and I would expect the same this year. So I, I think that's a good call. 
Yeah, and it, it's a good rivalry. You, you know, there was the the rumor, we'll call it that, because Justin wouldn't come out and say it, but a couple of players did that that the team Justin wants to beat most other than UVA is Carolina, that, that, that he's kind of got that in his mind and, and it's yeah. a recruiting thing and it's some other things that have happened. Well, and well if we play Texas, it would be Texas. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that there, there is something a little more to this rivalry, especially the way Tech's been recruiting the state of North Carolina yeah. Yeah. and guys on the flip side, the way North Carolina has recruited the state of Virginia, like they're, yeah. they're neighbors and, you know, uh, they need the good fences <laughs> between these neighbors. And I think that's fun for us, right? It yeah. makes the game more exciting. That's that's the wall I could go for is keep UNC out of the 757. <laughs> nobody nobody's spending millions to build that. <laughs> so speaking of rivalries, there is UN the UNC to open. There's UVA. West Virginia is another one that is early in the schedule for Virginia Tech, and it's kind of well, I guess Notre Dame's on that schedule. Um, okay, so Notre Dame probably the toughest game, but outside of those, West Virginia is the non-conference game that Virginia Tech fans at least will have circled. It's a rivalry that has been hasn't been played since what four years ago, three four years yeah, ago now. Um, it was a one off, and it's it? been yeah, it's been a while. So, uh, is that a game that you think Virginia Tech should not be worried about? Because it's a game that, and again, Leland's already touched on it a few times. I'm not the most optimistic fan in the world, and I don't have the optimism that this regime is going to turn it around magically. But I hope they do. It, I am worried about that game because I just worry that. I look at that schedule. If if you lose to UNC, I, I'm worried that that loss spirals into more disaster. If yeah, I, I think that's is that really a possible fair. game that they could drop against West Virginia and then just kind of spark a downhill trajectory and kind of crashing into the mountain a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I think you're right, and and, and I know we joked about the Richmond game, but um, you look at North Carolina, West Virginia. Notre Dame in three of your first five games, if I'm remembering it mm-hmm. right, um, you yep. could lose those three games and yep. still be a pretty good football team, right? Like, I mean, it, it could be a team that could have a good year, but it, you're right. I don't think it happens if you lose two or three of those, uh, if you lose one of those in lopsided right. fashion. Um, and it's why I think Carolina is such an unfairly important game because it can spiral you, right? You're behind the eight ball in the division. Then you lose one of your marquee games, West Virginia or Notre Dame. And there's just a bad feeling at that point around the program. There's going to be people saying, okay, now let's, let's fire Justin. Now let's not wait the whole season and all that chatter and all that noise. And Joe, Joe is the one that will say that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Probably not big on, on firing this... coaches in the middle of the year, but okay. So you're, no, you're so... going gonna to be talking about the tarmac. You're going to be talking about the standing out wit standing outside the locker room. <laughs> and it's, it's going to happen guys. If they lose to Carolina and then one or two of those other games, but the bottom line is they could lose those three win the rest and have had a pretty damn good year. And I think uh, Justin saves his job that way. That's but the, worst the question is not going to happen that way. That's yeah. worst right. The question is how, how does your team respond? If you're two and three, and that's the problem is um, it's not that this team isn't good enough. It's a two and three with all the noise, exactly what you said. Does it spiral? And then do you start losing, you know, the ACC games that, that really irk the fans, right? Like, do you, like, do you lose to Pitt or, or do you, you know, drop a game at Georgia tech where you have questionable play calling on the final drive, something like that. Do you, or the unforgivable sin in the finale. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. You know, and that yeah. I think is, is, a, is its own entity. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could you could be seven or eight wins 
and feeling decent about the job Justin does and lose that game. And it changes the whole, right. Um, and that's what's fascinating about this season. Cause again, I, I think tech can be pretty good, but they've got a game at the beginning that carries more weight than it should. And they have a game in the last week that carries more weight than it should in terms of this coaching staff's future. And boy, what an odd set of bookends to then try to play your season in between you win that Carolina game. You could have a lot of momentum. You lose that Carolina game. Like I said, you're behind the eight ball all year long. So do you think if you had to put a win total on this schedule for Virginia tech, where are you? So uh, my good friend, Wes McElroy, I was on his radio show today and he was hitting me with the over unders. And um, I had done an exercise where I went through, okay, how many games are they going to win? And uh, he hit me with seven and a half. And for Virginia Tech, I was right between seven and eight wins. So yeah. he had the perfect line. Um, you know, if you could tell me what happens Friday night, I'll have a much better picture. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think they are good enough to be an eight-win team this year. Um, I don't think they get that without Carolina. If they lose Carolina, I could see them in that six-seven win category. Um, and I don't think that's going to be good enough. And I don't think it, it should be good enough not good. It's not because good enough. of the body of, of work going into this. But um, it, it's why I keep saying Carolina is such an unfairly important game. Um, and then, you know, how do you factor in, guys, if the Coastal Division ends up being garbage again? And maybe Tech doesn't have a great year but <laughs> wins the Coastal because it turns out that we're wrong about Carolina. And, and, you know, the U isn't back yet again. Like, what if we get to the end of the year – and Virginia Tech has seven wins, but they win the Coastal. Uh, what do you do with that? It's it's just because of that division, it's such a hard thing to process. Yeah. So moving on to UVA, uh, looking at them, I know last year was a bit of a disappointment for them. I think, you know, coming off a Coastal championship, I think they had kind of had, had hopes for higher expectations, but it was a little bit back to reality for UVA. Um, that I think Leland and I first saw, but maybe the people over the mountain didn't um, in Charlottesville. But do you see them kind of taking a step back toward the coastal or kind of still where they were last year and just kind of disappointing fans in Charlottesville? You know, Joe, it's interesting because it's, it's, I think they're a team that could go either way. Mm -hmm. Like to me, they look like the most interesting team in the ACC and I don't mean interesting as in national championship contender, but I mean, (laughs) I could see them being third in the coastal, um, you know, being up there, uh, being in the seven, maybe eight win realm. If everything comes together, if everything doesn't come together, I could see this as a four win team having a horrible year. Um, And certainly if I can see those two things, I can see anything in between. So the things to look at to me for Virginia, I think the offensive line is going to be really good. I think the defensive line is going to be really good. That defensive secondary was trash a year ago. I mean, it gave up big plays, just struggled to contain anybody. They dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, They brought in some new pieces. They're healthy. If that secondary makes a big jump, uh, that's factor number one. Then I think Virginia could be more than maybe we're expecting. Uh, and then the other thing is Brennan Armstrong. Um, he looked really good at, at times, especially after uh, going out and coming back. You know, he had the injury, came back, but he played really well in the second half of the year. If that's the Brennan Armstrong we get, nah, that's kind of middle of the pack. But if that was part of his progression and he's going to be five times better um, and continue on that career arc, um, then I think that elevates their offense. So 
you know, they're a team that Brennan Armstrong and the secondary come together. Um, they find some traditional run game, which they have not had success doing. Um, and maybe with this offensive line, it'll be a little easier. And all of a sudden, I could see them winning seven, maybe eight games and, and having a really good year. Um, if they're giving up 30 plus yard passes, you know, three, four times a, a game and Brennan Armstrong's throwing interceptions, I think it could be a disastrous year. So I, I sort of didn't answer your question. Tell you, I, I could see this team going either yeah. way. But so I guess for you, if you have, it sounds like you have Virginia Tech in kind of a tier one with Miami, UNC as potential coastal winners. You would say definitively best case scenario for UVA is they're in a second tier of the coastal and worst case they're at the bottom. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that, you know, if everything comes together, um, could I see them picking off the weakest of Carolina tech Miami? Yeah, I, I think that's fair if everything comes together, but more likely they're in the um, four or five range, mm-hmm. um, you know, battling with like Pittsburgh. I, I think Pittsburgh was the team that I, I think I picked UVA fourth in the conference, but Pitt ended up, being selected overall fourth. Um, I think that's the range. And, and I think if they finish top five uh, in the division, not that that's anything to jump around about, but um, you know, that, that will be an okay kind of thing. And, you know, you guys got to remember when I at least started <laughs> UVA was terrible. I mean, they were yeah. unable to compete. So, you know, to, to consider a five and five season, a disappointment tells you a little bit about how far they've come under Bronco. Um but again, I, I don't think they settle for that. And I don't, you know, if they go six and six, I think fans are going to be disappointed, but that could very well be the future here. Um, so speaking of Bronco and what he's managed to do there at UVA, it doesn't feel like he's on the hot seat, but then again, I'm not as plugged into the UVA fan base and how they feel about their coach as I am with Fuente and Virginia Tech. So there's no grumblings there at, in Charlottesville of it's time to move on, even if a disappointing season. I would imagine he's going to have one or two more disappointing seasons before even the slightest of grumblings. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's always somebody grumbling because it's sports. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you're right. Yeah, the, the overall, if you're taking the pulse of, of the fan base. And, you know, the interesting thing with him is he, he spoke at the um, Board of Visitors meeting this week. And so did AD Carla Williams. And um, he doubled down on it today at the press conference where he said, you know, Virginia has the worst football facility in the ACC. Um, and I think some people were like, oh my gosh, why would you say that? You're, you're almost recruiting against yourself. But I think, you know, his point is, you know, they've been able to do all this and really turn that program around, make it competitive. Despite that, despite a building that hasn't been renovated, he said in 31 years. Um, so I think it, it's, The point is, hey, you can win and you can get it done without the proper support. But if you really want this thing to work, and that's what they were telling the Board of Visitors, hey, we need more. And and they do have um, the new facility coming and and they've done a nice job with the indoor. And And you um, say that you say that when there's a plan on the books. Yeah, right. And and it's (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go too far out there. But I I think I think it is important to know that. Um, you know, it's not just that, and we've seen it at tech too, but Virginia was further behind. Um, it's the analysts, it's the extra recruiting positions. It's the, um, additional strength staff, the additional nutrition staff. It's all the things that Clemson has that UVA didn't have. Um, and tech has done a a nice job getting up. They they were further ahead than UVA, but they weren't at Clemson. They've added, um, so Virginia's added a lot and basically, They've been able to win in spite of 
and now they're in the process. And, and, and I think the fans understand that. And I think they know like, Hey, this guy came here and we didn't give him anything extra and he was able to win. And now they're starting to provide something. And, um, but now, you know, with that comes expectations. So they're going to put a lot of money and a lot of support and do all the things he's talking about. Um, all of a sudden, six wins, seven wins isn't going to cut it at that point. Um, and he knows that. And, and he's confident that with his plan and his approach that they can be a seven and up kind of win team every year and challenge for division titles and, and get to that. Um, but once he gets all those recruiting analysts and all those staffers and the new facility, that's when the heat's there because now it's not a question of anything holding you back. It's what can you deliver? And um, that's when it's going to get interesting, I think, for Bronco Mendenhall in Charlottesville. So I, mean, I know guys that... are just. Go ahead, Leland. I mean, some guys are just built better for that, you know, make up for lost ground kind of way. I, I think there's plenty of coaches out there that you've seen that. Um, I, I mean, look, we've talked about this, uh, or we will talk about this in the podcast coming up. But like, look at Scott Frost at, at Nebraska. Like he he was at um, UCF. UCF and 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 like making something out of nothing and taking it as high as he could, you know, battling from less, battling from less. And then he gets sent somewhere where he is keen in the castle at a, a prestigious place and he's done nothing with it. I think some guys are built better like that. And, and, and so that'll be interesting for Bronco. Is he, is he built like that or can he make that transition to, to that performing with, with everything in your back pocket? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see, right? Because he's got the vision and he's the guy who's going to get you there. And then when you get there, is he still the guy? We've seen that. I mean, well, hey, right, we're on here with an Orioles fan. I mean, I think back to uh, when it was Buck Showalter. When it was Buck Showalter, who was a guy who he had to make every move, right? Like three moves an inning. And when you had a young team that wasn't quite there, you needed that. Like Buck Showalter was dragging that team to some wins by, in my opinion, overmanaging, but it's what they needed. And then when they gave him a, a lineup that was, was decent, all of a sudden he wasn't the right fit anymore. Um, and, and I think that could be the case. Wow. I don't think it will be. I think Bronco yeah. has a vision of how to run a program when he has these other things, but until you do it, you don't know. And it's going to be really interesting to see is the guy who gets you to that point. Also the guy who can then get you to the next point. Yeah, and he shouldn't be on the hot seat. I mean, I I, I don't want UVA to win. He, I mean, he sh- shouldn't be on the hot seat. I think that's accurate over there. With with UVA and kind of the facilities comment, that was going to be the next thing I directed towards you, but you already kind of touched on it already. What about Scott Stadium? I know you mentioned it, and he brought it up too, saying it hasn't been renovated in thirty over thirty years. That's not really a threatening place to play. Like I don't. And I know you brought up Lane Stadium, and yes, when Lane Stadium is at its peak, that's a tough place to play. I kind of don't feel like Lane Stadium's been that as of recently for Virginia Tech. It's not been a fortress. Teams have gone in there and beat Virginia Tech just as easily as Virginia Tech's gone somewhere else and lost. But what is it a renovation that needs to happen to make Scott Stadium a more hostile place to play? Or is it just needing consistency of being in a coastal division champion kind of thing? Yeah, Joe, I, I, I think you're right that the, it's the number one thing is winning, right? Like there were some nights um, in the there have been some nights in the Bronco Mendenhall era uh, where that place was a pretty good venue, 
where it had good atmosphere. And if you can become a program where fans are there all the time, and that's where it comes from. I mean, that's what Lane Stadium, yeah. and there's a lot of nice things about Lane Stadium, but it was winning 10 games a year um, that yeah, made it, you know, the, night. right. That, that made it the Terradome. There was the Thursday night games. There's all of that kind of stuff. And um, you know, you earn that as a program. So I think Scott stadium it is fine as a structure. I think the Hill with the students, um, if they're there and they're into it can be great. You know, it, it can be a really good um, atmosphere for college football. The bottom line is, um, and maybe more so for UVA fans and tech fans, if they're not winning, there's an apathy, right? Like I grew up, uh, you know, up in New Jersey, I was a New York sports fan. Um, you know, when the New York Rangers were lousy, the garden sold out so that we could boo and let them know <laughs> that this wasn't okay, which yeah. hindsight being 2020, we were still giving them the money and, and the ownership there was garbage. And, and that was not the right approach, but the passion was the point, you know, you were just as emotionally invested in a bad team as you were a good team. You were just pissed off about it. And that's what I think is missing from a lot of the segment of Virginia fans is when they're good. I think Virginia fans are great. I think Virginia fans make a great atmosphere, but when they're bad, they just kind of like wash their hands of it. "Eh, All right. Um, You need that fire all the time. And, um, and I think consistent winning is the way to get it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Looking more at the ACC. I'm, I'm not going to ask a stupid question and say who you have to win the ACC. It's Clemson. We know that. And you've talked enough about the Coastal. We, we have a good idea of the people you think that might be in that game. What, what team do you think is most primed to surprise us? What team that maybe is ranked lower will surprise us and be higher? What, what team do you think has that shot to just kind of be an eyebrow-raising team by the end of the year? I love North Carolina State. I love that defense. I love their linebackers in particular. I mean, I think that can be a dominant defense. And I saw Devin Leary when he was healthy as a game-changing quarterback. Uh, the league is so deep with quarterbacks. I mean, you think that we can talk about the ACC and, you know, I've done it. I've done, you know, radios and podcasts where I get off, you know, I'm done with my segment. And I think, wow, we talked about quarterbacks and I didn't mention Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh or I didn't mention Phil Jerkovic at Boston College. Like Those are two really good quarterbacks, and you can talk about the ACC and not even get down to them. Um, I think Devin Leary is in that group, um, and I think because of that defense, man, that's a team that, like I said with Virginia, right, if Armstrong puts it together and the secondary gets better, well, I look at NC State and say, if those linebackers are as good as I think they are, and that defense is good, and Leary is as good as he can be, man, I think, you know, and like you said, do I see them beating Clemson? No. But do I see them being the second team in the division? And do I see them being a team with a national ranking, with, with, with a real reputation? And I think they can be that kind of team this year. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I mean, they'd be good for the conference. I mean, we need, we need ranked teams. We need other people. We need one of the three in the Coastal to kind of beat the rest and, and give Clemson a battle. I mean, because on a national scale, we're just – not looking good and we and we're not deserving to look good. I mean, it, it's, it, the proof is there. And so we, we need more teams ranked. We need Clemson competed against in division and we need someone coming from the coastal that'll put up a fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Clemson, Georgia, <laughs> right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, that's, we always talk about those signature marquee games. And, and I think now that, and we can debate all day about Notre Dame and what they are or what they aren't and what they were for the conference, what the conference was for them last year during the pandemic. But Notre Dame goes back to being a team that the ACC needs to beat Notre Dame 
more times than not. Um, because it's all well and good to say, okay, Notre Dame sold out my stadium and Notre Dame got me extra national TV time. But if you're losing that game, is it building your brand or is it saying eh, the, the ACC isn't? So I, I think that in addition to that, Clemson, Georgia, and, and some other ones, and we mentioned Tech and West Virginia, I think all of those matchups with Notre Dame this year take on another level of importance um, as we're heading into the, you know, the alliance and, and how they're going to schedule. And how, how is Notre Dame viewed? as, okay, is it, I want to play Notre Dame, and then I want to play the ACC? Probably with the TV and, and, the, and the revenue and the ticket sales, it will be, but the ACC needs to pull itself up to say, like, hey, ACC wins are just as good or better than Notre Dame wins, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think those are games to watch all year in terms of the strength of the conference. So you talked about the alliance. Uh, my takeaway from that was, you know, okay, these it's a voting block, for when these big, you know, college football playoff expansion or different kind of rules get voted on, that's a voting block now. And you know those three conferences are going to be in lockstep. And then it helps with scheduling for the various sports as well. That's what I took away from it. I, I don't know if some people are just trying to be funny on Twitter or if they just truly don't understand. It seemed like people were like, oh, 60-team mega conference is a bad idea. And I'm like, yeah, that's not what's happening here. But um, in terms of the alliance – one of my biggest questions still, when I see the Big 12 is not part of it. To me, if I'm a Big 12 fan, that's a red flag. Like, hey, those three conferences, not only are we not in their alliance, to me, that's like, hey, when they go to expand, because I think that's just a question of when, not if, they're coming for us. So do you think when that happens, another part of this alliance is, those three conferences have already talked about which of those Big 12 teams each one gets. Yeah, I certainly got that vibe. And, and you know, I was on the, the, the Zoom conference with the commissioners when they announced it. And I can't remember who, but somebody asked kind of that, that topic. And all the commissioners said, you know, we need the Big 12 to be strong. The Big 12 has to matter for college football. And, you know, that's kind of the thing you say when everybody's looking. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I was just what, saying, if it really needed to be strong, it would have been part of this. Right. Like, I mean, you, you don't mention to the bank that you're robbing them while, while you're standing <laughs> there. It's um, So I'm intrigued to see what happens there. I, I think the Big 12 certainly is in the weakest spot. Um, I think the alliance, that was sort of part of it, was to say, one, hey, you're not going to be able to just do what you want with the college football playoff. You're not going to be able to just do what you want with the television rights agreements. We, we are together enough that we can throw a monkey wrench in all this. And then it was also to say, hey, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be, none of the three of us are going to be the ones who go down to save the Big 12. It'll be the other way. We're more likely to eat you. Now, the question is, there's no signed agreement, right? right. And and I love, you know, I, I love the the rosy, you know, we looked each other in the eyes and we shook hands and this is a gentleman's agreement. And that's really great. Like, I can't wait to show my kids those clips and be like, look how wonderful. <laughs> um, but then I'm not going to show them six months from now when that whole thing goes to hell because right. somebody was lying. I mean, I always think about David Teal wrote a great column for us. There was a banquet uh, in Charlotte for ACC media days where they were honoring John Swafford uh, and all the commissioners were there, including Greg Sankey. And it was days before the Texas Oklahoma news broke, right? It was right. It was about to break. He knew that. And he was rubbing elbows and sharing cocktail hot dogs and whatever else they had in their shrimp cock. And he was about to blow up everybody in that room's world and didn't say a word. So 
when you tell me we have trust and we have a gentleman's right. agreement and we're doing what's best for college football at the end of the day, all three of those conferences, if push comes to shove are going to do what's best for them. And, and I just, I, I don't buy it. Um, to me, it's all about saying, Hey, you're not going to be able to push the ACC around or the big 10 around or the PAC 12 around because the three of us are together. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That's kind of, if I would have asked this question, I probably would have framed it more like that. Hey, this is an alliance until it's not an alliance anymore. And <laughs> and then the big in the Big Ten is going to dominate that. They're the best in football and uh, basketball, and, and basketball. I mean, they're like, the two sports that matter. They're the best of those left. ACC might make an argument about basketball, but okay. Um, yeah, until the Big Ten has a better situation or the SEC talks to them behind closed doors or something like that, it's – it's uh, yeah, sure. Everybody's in agreement that, yeah, we should schedule more games, you know, against each other. And yeah, we should put up a fight against ESPN because that's good for you. But as soon as it's good separately, it, we, it, this will be gone. So. Right. And there was nothing in there about not taking each other's schools, which I thought, I thought that thought, was odd. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. It, that should have been something, even if it's not written, somebody say like, you know, one thing we talked about was we need stability. So there isn't going to be any expansion amongst the three. We're not going to take each other's schools away. Um, and maybe they privately talked about it, but it means nothing, right? Like everybody always pledges their allegiance until they don't. It's so yeah. I, I, Nick Saban's still coaching for the Dolphins, right? Right, exactly. So <laughs> I mean, ask Bobby Petrino about what that all means. Yeah. And, and he, he had written contracts in all those spots. So yeah, I, I just, um, it, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it, but the idea that it's a massive game changer, unless something gets put into paperwork, um, I don't buy it. So speaking of reckless, reckless speculation and conference expansion, <laughs> since, since you're the ACC beat writer, we'll focus on the ACC aspect of it. And it's what's important to our listeners and selfishly myself. I look at Notre Dame as obvious number one. They're already in everything else. You got to bring them in for football. And they I have think, an agreement. If they go to a conference, they got to come to us. I think in terms of financials, it's starting to make sense for Notre Dame to do that anyway. If there's an expanded college football playoff, I think that almost becomes a must-have for Notre Dame. The question for me is that second team that the ACC would bring in. I know West Virginia is a popular thing among fans because of the rivalries and geography, but I think that is the least likely of three potentials that just pop in my head straight away. I think Oklahoma State would be an option for the ACC to try to bring in because of Boone Pickens' money. And I think Cincinnati is a better draw for the ACC because of Cincinnati, the market. It opens up a new state in Ohio that has a lot of money. And I just think those are the two more likely than West Virginia. Do you share those? Is there another school that I didn't name that you think has a great opportunity of joining the ACC as well? Yeah, I agree, number one, that that Notre Dame, to me, when you crunch the numbers – is the only one that makes sense because I can make some cases for some other schools, but you have to do the math. And if you add another school, you have to share the money with another part. And now you do the division. Okay. How much money are they adding? How much are they bringing in versus how much is their payout of the television contract and the bowl revenue and all that. And to me, the only school that gets you in the positive is Notre Dame. Everybody else, you're just feeding another mouth and you actually lose. The schools that are intriguing to me, um, and you mentioned Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati, I think Houston, and I think Central Florida. And it's because of the market size. 
because even though right now they might not be the cash cow that Notre Dame is, I think they have more of an upside. Um, you know, West Virginia's got the best history, right? The best rivalry, the best tradition. If you're going by that, they're the easy choice, but financially they make no sense. West Virginia has its number and it's not on the way up, right? It's not a growing fan base. It's not a growing alumni base. That's not a growing market. Um, it is what it is. And I think West Virginia is great for college football. I, you know, I've been down there many times, but in terms of value, get me into the Houston market, get me into Cincinnati and in Ohio, um, you know, get me down there and further in central Florida, where you've already got uh, kind of a foothold and, and some rivalry. Um, to me, those make more sense, but right now, financially, they still don't add up. You're still losing money, I think, with any of those. So to me, it's, it's Notre Dame or bust. And maybe if you do Notre Dame, you can do one more because of what they're bringing in. Um, and maybe one of those emerging markets is the way to go. But yeah, I, I think there's a difference between who do I want to see my team play? That's probably West Virginia. That's probably the pick versus who should the conference add financially? I think that's one of those other teams we just talked about. And I, and I was expecting you to say a team out of Texas, but probably one of the big 12 teams out of Texas. I wasn't necessarily expecting you to say Houston. I know it's, it's been said, uh, but it, uh, it makes sense what you're saying there. Uh, getting into Texas makes a lot of sense if, if, when you're talking what the priorities are, the, the new markets, the new ground for the footprint, and then also the fact that everybody wants to recruit the state of Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it is. I mean, we've seen Virginia Tech with their um, Texas to Virginia Tech kind of recruiting pipelines. And, it, you know, it, it's a fascinating thing because it isn't about. It's a it's a circular pipe, though. They come and then they, they go come, right they back. They go right yeah. back. <laughs> they re, they're really visiting, but nobody nobody it's wanted to mention that. Hang. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the boomerang. <laughs> yeah. But, but it is. And, and it is, um, you know, it's where do you want the ACC footprint? I've always been an advocate of this really my whole career, and it's never going to happen. But I think they need to find a way to pull football out and to play all your other sports in regional geographic conferences. So I'm fine if ACC football has teams in Texas and California. I'm fine if they have scheduling groups, but I don't want to see the baseball team going to Houston for a weekend series. And I don't want to see field hockey, you know, out in, in Oregon. It's just a waste of money and time. And, um, you know, you can play cool tournaments and non-conference, but I think it would make a lot of sense if you had a conference that was Virginia Tech and UVA and North Carolina and Duke, uh, NC State, Wake, West Virginia, maybe Old Dominion, maybe JMU moves up for your Olympic sports and find a way to pull football out of it because these football decisions are made by money and, and they should be because there's so much money there. But football drives the bus and then all those other teams <laughs> who are riding on that bus are like, where the hell are we going? Like, what are we doing out here? I mean, Conference USA, like, yeah. why is why is your tennis team going to El Paso? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, it, to me, the best thing for college sports, and it isn't going to happen because we're too far down the road, would be to find a way to do football separately and pair all your other sports geographically. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting approach. I, I would definitely think we're closer to the to the – the big boy conference, you know, where they break away from the NCAA and there's 60 oh, yeah. some teams. And that's what I, I think we're definitely way closer to that road. That's, I mean, that's an interesting approach that I can't say I'm eager for what you said. Cause I, I think it, I, it's just, it's not what we grew up with. So I'm just not eager for something like that, but it's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, you love the rivalries, right? And, and you want to, you want your football team to drive those rivalries. But I just don't know that it makes sense a- anymore for football to be so restricted by conference and then to have your other teams following along. I mean, um, you could have these mega conferences. And the other thing, guys, is if we end up with 60 teams in a conference, then they're going to be splitting into divisions. Then they're going to yeah. name the divisions. And really all you have is conferences. Same thing, yeah. It's the same thing. It's just who's shuffling the it's, money. It's the VHSL with, with, you know, we're not six divisions anymore. We're six and we don't, classes. right. And we don't have to deal with, pow- <laughs> we don't have to deal with PowerPoints because that's a mess. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it really is. Um, it's, it's super complicated because it's all about money with football and that drags everything else into sort of weird alliances. Well, we appreciate you coming on with us again. We haven't talked to you since last spring. So I assume you've had a moment at some point between there to do something other than cover sports. And uh, we're going to ask you the usual question of, you know, what, what have you binge watched or what have you have a recommendation for our listeners to outside of, you know, straightforward live sports. Uh, what what kind of recommendation do you have for our listeners? So uh, the thing I just started, and I, I have to reserve judgment to tell you if I'll recommend it, but I'm three episodes in it. It's been very good. Um, is uh, White Lotus on HBO? Um, it had a real. It had like the cliffhanger opening, where like you know how kind of something ends, and then they go back two weeks, and it's like, okay, how do you get to that point? And, and so far, I've enjoyed it. It's um, it's dark and awkward humor, so it's not for everybody. Um, but 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 I've enjoyed it so far. The other show that I did binge watch um, on the treadmill and, and doing other things was um, The Mentalist, uh, which is just an hour long, and it was on. I can't remember now. It was on one of the networks. I watched. CBS, it, I think. Yeah, and I watched it on streaming, and um, I really came to like that character. You know, he's a a reformed psychic who admits that he was never psychic, but he's incredibly observant and he solves crimes. It's kind of in the vein of monk or psych if you've seen any of those um i think he's a really good character um they didn't go too far i don't love when they get into like you know romances and all the week to week the the soap opera stuff um you can enjoy a single episode um but then there's also an overarching story of of him hunting uh, a specific serial killer and um so i've really enjoyed that the mentalist and uh i'm so far but like i said i'll reserve judgment so far i've enjoyed white lotus on hbo Awesome. Well, good recommendations there, ones we haven't talked about already. So uh, that's something to look into. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on with us. I'm sure we'll get you on here down the stretch of the football season. And uh, we look forward to hopefully watching as many football games between now and then as possible. And hopefully not too many disappointments of no game weekends. Yeah, I need to get the even number 12 for my appearances. So uh, we'll we'll have have to make that happen. Exactly. Sounds good. Well, we'll be talking to you soon and uh, good luck with all your coverage. We'll be watching. Hey, and plug your podcast. You're, you have a great podcast. Plug that for our listeners. Thanks. Yeah, Teal and Barber. We drop new episodes every Tuesday during the football season, and you can find that uh, on the website, richmond.com, or, or wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah, and that, for our listeners, it just pairs really well with the Act Sports podcast that also comes out on Tuesdays. They go hand in hand. So Perfect. Double dip. <laughs> Double dip of listening. You, you drive to work and you drive home. There you go. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, the rarely used C-block time here on the Exports Podcast. Once again, thanks, Mike Barber, for coming on with us and talking college football. A week ago, I think I said we weren't we're going to have much time to talk about it this week, but uh, once I realized we could get him on this week, it was well worth it. I mean, that was a 
great conversation with him. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. But let's talk more specifically about this week of college football. Uh, we already hit our local teams uh, a little bit there, so we can blow through that. But let's look back before we look forward. Joe, last week I said, you know, I might turn on the TV and watch the Nebraska game. Situations arose where I was able to go watch it with, uh, with Dan the man and uh, a big Nebraska fan. Uh, so I took advantage of that. And uh, I went over there, you know, and I probably early the first mistake that Nebraska made, like trying to catch that punt inside the two, um, you know, and I kind of laughed. it out because, of the end zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was bad. But I, was, I kind of laughed because I was like, okay, here's a mistake. And, you know, his team isn't doing good, but uh, they'll rebound. They'll be all fine. And then I stopped laughing. And I, I think it was in the third quarter. I was like, dude, I didn't come over here for this. I, I thought you guys, I thought you guys would win this game. I didn't, I didn't want to come over here and watch y'all lose. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, what a disaster that really was for a season opener. I mean, Illinois, I think the point that Dan and I made during that game is one team really knew who they were and one team had no idea who they were. And the team <laughs> that knew who they were had their coach for the first game. <laughs> you know, this was his first game coaching at Illinois. And, uh, man, he's a good coach. And it just showed a, a chasm between the quality of coaching at those two schools right now. Yeah. Um, I don't think Scott Frost you, is the though. worst coach of all time, but he's not getting it done. He's not getting it done there. But let me ask you this. Once you realize Burt Bielema was the coach of Illinois and you're staring at them with a huge lead in the second They're half just gonna run it to and death. Nebraska yeah. starts chipping away, did, did part of you not think, oh, it's going to happen to Burt Bielema again and he's going to blow it? Because I that's what got him chased out of Arkansas was it the huge lead he had against Missouri and blew it. It was a huge lead he had the week before Missouri, I think, and blew it. And then in that bowl game against Virginia Tech, remember, this was like Fuente's yeah. big crowning achievement, maybe. We were getting housed in that Arkansas game, and in the second half, he blew it. So when they had that huge lead and Nebraska started coming back, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I actually, it never went through my mind, I guess. I was more referencing his time at Wisconsin where he was very good. Uh, he seems at home in the big 10. I, I just thought he was just going to run the air out of the football and, and he kind of did. I, I yeah. Nebraska had their opportunities, but I, I don't know. I didn't actually think about that as much directly. And I, I don't know. I just, I guess I was more in a war zone <laughs> with my viewing partner for that. Uh, Cause I know how mad I'd be in that game. I think what it was one of the texts I said to you I was like maybe we get beat by UNC like this, but at least we're playing a top ten team. Uh, yeah, was, I just felt bad. Ugh. Well, and I texted you because I was ahead of you and I didn't realize it at the time, but right before halftime, that fumble that the quarterback made, I just texted yeah. you. I was like, I really hope he's not watching this game because if that had been Virginia Tech, that would have been where the group chat dissolves into chaos <laughs> because I would have just been like, this is it, I'm done. <laughs> Bleep well, bleep this coach and bleep bleep that kid and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it just wouldn't have been a good experience. So uh, I can only imagine. Now, because I'm not a Nebraska fan, I'm laughing. Also, didn't bet Nebraska. Bet Illinois to cover. <laughs> that was that was pretty easy for me. Um, but yeah, I just kind of was like, yeah, okay. I didn't think Illinois was actually going to win though. Like I just thought. I looked at that and was like, I think they can lose by less than seven. And they ended up winning by more than seven. They won by eight, I think it was. And, like, for Nebraska, that's 
I think that's a nail in the coffin there for Scott Frost. Like, I don't think they go to a bowl game, and I don't think you can survive another non-bowl game season. And I know Colin Coward was talking about it. He's like, the problem at Nebraska isn't the coach. It's, you know, what Nebraska is and, you know, where Nebraska is. And I kind of disagree with that because Madison, Wisconsin isn't some huge hub. Iowa isn't, like, in a major – Iowa City, Iowa is not some major metropolis that is going to attract kids. Minnesota is in a literal ice cube during half a football season. I think, I mean, Penn, Penn State has won in recent time, not national championship, but like been very competitive in years. And like, I'm not saying Nebraska is going to win a national nowhere. championship, but no. they could be better than they are. Yes. Like, where's Clemson? I mean, like, Clemson's not sitting in Miami. It's, it doesn't come with a whole uh, bunch But it's of nicer weather like, in Clemson. Nicer. I think it's his point. It's still in the mountains. It's still not close to a beach. Not, I don't know. I just, I don't, I only buy that so much. And yeah. I, I think it has an impact, but it, it, you can't just write off, you know, you can't write that off to everything. So um, yeah, it's embarrassing. That I don't think they make a bowl game. I thought that was a must win for bowl game. The way Dan had this season split up is there's four games. They can't win four games. They will win. And then there's the middle four. You got to see what they're with. He had Illinois in the four games. He will win. So now you got to start stealing um, a game that you can't win, and they're not going to do that. They're not going to beat Oklahoma. They're not going to beat Ohio State. They're not going to beat whatever other good Big Ten teams they play. It's just that it ain't going to happen. The quarterback's not good enough. He's just not good enough. He's a four-year starter. He looked like a a junior starting for the first time. That's how he looked in that game. He doesn't have playmaking ability. Yeah, when he gets out of the pocket, he can run ahead for four yards and get out of bounds. But he cannot – if he doesn't three-step drop and throw the football – it ain't happening. There were play, just too many open receivers good. that he missed in that game. And I was just like, yeah, th- this isn't good if you're Nebraska. Early touchdown. That really would have turned that game in a much different direction that he just missed. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we talked about Nebraska more there than we will the entire season. You are welcome, Dan. Um, I don't know. I didn't really watch many of the other games. UCLA blowing out Hawaii doesn't mean anything to me. No. I liked game day. I said this before last week. I liked game day covering uh, that Alcorn State NC Central game. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good for a week zero matchup. Um, but let's go into this week and talk about the game Clemson versus Georgia. I, I don't know how we can ask for anything more to start a season. Yeah, you might want one versus two, but this game is so intriguing with Clem, Clemson, the, who it is, Clemson and Georgia. And Georgia's trying to get over that hump. And Clemson, who's always in the mix, are they going to be that good this year? I love this. This is one of my favorite early season non-conference matchups that we've had in recent history. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week, and kind of this is a bigger game for Clemson than it is Georgia. Because if you're Georgia, and maybe I said this the other way last week, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember how I said it. But this is how (laughs) I feel today. This is a bigger game for Clemson than Georgia. Because if you're Clemson and you lose this game, yeah, you can win out in the ACC. But a one-loss ACC team, given the respect that the ACC has earned, recently is not that much it's dangerous if georgia loses georgia can come back win out beat alabama in an sec championship they're fine or whoever i'm assuming alabama because i don't think anyone will beat them absolutely if they if if they lose to clemson and then win out absolutely they're in no No questions asked they're in if clemson wins out i don't know man i don't think that schedule's that good i i I don't think Clemson has another marquee matchup. So it would be based on reputation at 
we're Clemson and we've been in a championship game and and the sport's built on that. <laughs> it is, but I I don't know if if I'm Clemson, I don't know if I want to be riding the reputation of the ACC. That is also yeah. part of that equation. I, I that's why I like this game. I I like it. I I don't. I know we've talked about the playoffs. We're not getting into argument right now, but I don't mind that this game, you know, could set Clemson on the outside looking in for the rest of the way. You know, figuratively, a lot of things, a lot of games, sure. put, but like you definitely put them out. If 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 we have this bigger playoff, you know, they still have a spot waiting on them, and that's and that's fine. And we'll have bigger games in in January and December into January. Okay, but I don't mind the stakes on this game, and and I like it for what it is right now. Yeah, I think Alabama Miami is interesting, but the other game yeah. that's not on your list that is going to be big, Ohio hosting Syracuse, the Bobcats. I think that's a game they can pick off. Believe it or not, Syracuse actually a slight favorite. I think they're going down to the Bobcats. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've got I, a. I'm not uh, going to argue. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Liberty beat Syracuse. I've got an Ohio Bobcat Georgia Bulldog parlay. First we meow, then we growl. The other games of interest, that Alabama-Miami game is at 3.30 on Saturday. Clemson game uh, versus Georgia is 7.30, both on ABC. Uh, The other interesting games that I highlighted, Wisconsin-Penn State, I like it. You know, it's a solid Mm -hmm. early season, uh, ranked-on-ranked in-conference matchup. You you know, somewhat comparable to the Virginia Tech um, UNC game this weekend. You know, now that Virginia Tech's ranked, but still, like, you know, known entities in the conference play in open and weekend. I like that. Uh, I also like that Fox noon game. I, I started to like that a lot last year. Um, having a marquee game at noon is, is great for the sport. Uh, USC, San Jose State. San Jose State, the only reason I have that highlight is because San Jose State was one of those hot teams last year. Um, well, you know, and USC is not some kind of proven entity out in the Pac-12. You know, that that game has a little bit of smoke around it. I, you know, Unfortunately, so it's I on the Pac-12 USC, network and you won't see it. <laughs> that's that i will not uh but even if it was on abc i probably wouldn't turn to it anyway um you know it's it's just an interesting little thing there i'm not saying usc can't go and have a great season and and be good but this has a little bit a little bit of smoke around it um san jose state has that uh quarterback i was watching him the other night he's from oh which school is he from he's from an sec school so uh, georgia one of those schools um indiana or I, I indiana iowa i like that interesting matchup and then that Texas, Louisiana, you know, Louisiana is that team that you talked so much about last year and kind of ruffling everything up in the big 12. Here's a game against Texas to lead off the season. So those are the matchups. I'm kind of, I'll be paying attention to the scores they come across and try to get multiple of those on TVs in front of me at one time. So, Yeah, it'd be great if Louisiana beats Texas and uh, it won't happen, but if Tulane beats Oklahoma, I will be insufferable. I just, I'm just warning you now. And it's going to be at, in Norman now. What do you mean now? Where was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be in Tulane. Why can't it? Oh, because there's the a major hurricane currently. Happening. Yep. Before the sentence finished, <laughs> I realized why it can't be in Tulane. I just thought Oklahoma was trying to pull Big 12. You know, we're the Big 12. We're Oklahoma. We're like, oh, you're garbage. I, I do wish it was maybe at a neutral site, but that, that is hard to put make happen week of. It's a lot easier for Oklahoma to just open their doors. They have a future matchup that maybe can get switched around. So. Okay, but yeah, I mean, people have gone into Oklahoma. Army went into Oklahoma and, and battled. Yeah, almost won. Um, yeah. So, uh, we're. I know Joe and I will do some kind of Twitter Saturday pick thing again. It might be slightly altered from last year, just to kind of keep it a little fresh. Um, so look out for that. Um, 
the one last thing I'll talk about NCAA before we get into the D block. JMU gets their season started, uh, gets more head state. That should be an easy win. Um, you know, that this is a program we talk about Virginia Tech and UVA and, you know, they're anywhere from bowl eligible to not bowl eligible. You know, JMU standards are different and higher. They're, you know, they're in that, you know, Clemson, Alabama group of, of division uh, FCS and, and they're just playing in on playoff football. Looking through their schedule real quick, we didn't even preview them at all last week or, or anything. Um, what game are you most worried about for the Dukes as you look over their schedule down there? I guess Weber State. Yeah, I, and that's like game three. So I like that matchup. It's hard to find or like non-conference matchups in FCS that get you excited. That one doesn't even get you excited, but that's that's the best one they got. I just – I. I I like that it's happening. I wish I, – I don't – got a playoff in FCS. Why don't you just go get uh, North Dakota State? Why don't you go get Sam Houston State? Why don't you go get – like, the, like get those games happening. You want people to pay attention to FCS? Go make it happen. Lose it and then win it in the, fo- in the playoff. You, you still have your chance. I, I don't know. Well, that's, that's why they're playing Weber State is that kind of matchup. Um, eh, I guess, but it's like the they least look for popular an FCS. of that. Yeah, they look for FCS or FBS opponents, excuse me, first, because that's where money is. Then they want as many home games as they can get. They don't like the idea of not having six home games. So um, that's why, you know, the Appalachian State kind of thing stopped Um, because they used to play Appalachian State. Uh, Liberty, when Liberty was FCS, they would play. They're putting Weber State on. I think there is talk of adding somebody. I can't remember. The name of the program is escaping me right now. It's not North Dakota State, but another higher quality FCS opponent to be on the schedule. Could it be on team? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think being on ESPN Plus is interesting. That's the only game they're on ESPN all year until the playoffs. Yeah, we're on something called uh, Your View. Uh, that's that's like William and Mary's. Uh, it's something William and Mary has set up. Oh, uh, okay. the reason we're on the RSA, like the NC, N, NBC Sportsnet or whatever they call it these days. Um, we're on. Uh, we are JMU's on that all for home games, which is nice. You know, it's nice that they can have that. So you're not just dependent on flow. But yeah, as soon as they go away from Harrisonburg, there's a lot of flow only options, you know, at, at New Hampshire, which is a decent game. And, and Delaware, which is another decent game. Like, mm-hmm. the, both of those are on flow sports only. So it's going to flow to where I'm not seeing it, and I have no desire to figure out how to watch it. Or RSN Plus, I mean. Well, that's just like. I guess I have. No, that's, that, but. that's like the RSN. They have the alternate channel right there because they, like, yeah. are showing a Orioles game. Or, or not Orioles game, but, like, uh, something else already. Another college so. football game. Yeah. It's, it's still on cable. It's still on the TV. So. Yeah. All right. It's the Masson 2 of. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's college football. We're excited about it again. Uh, we'll get something going on Twitter this year. And please feel free to interact with us on Twitter this year uh, with those pickums, And, you know, tell me how wrong my picks are. Or tell help Joe how wrong his picks are. I prefer the latter. But um, that's what we'll have going. And let's just get out of here and let's get to the D block. D 
eBlock Tom here on the Exports Podcast. What is dominating your life, Joe? Well, what has been dominating my life has been, uh, I can talk about it now. It was actually going on as we started recording last week, but it was still fresh and I wasn't in a place where I could talk about it without cursing. Hmm. Um, but it got resolved Sunday morning. Finally, my Facebook account had been hacked and, uh, that was not a fun process to go through as the hacker had changed my email and all my contact information and made it impossible for me to reset the password and still be able to get back in it. Uh, if that ever happens to you, just know you're going to go through a long, grueling process of confirming your identity with Facebook and praying that the automated identity confirming system or the person who is checking that email knows it's you, understands you're not going to ha- be able to enter the code for the two-factor authentication that is sent to a third-party app that the hacker set up, uh, you won't have access to that. So they'll send you a link with a special password to log in and then reset your account. Uh, that's what you have to hope for. Know that you will never be able to talk to anyone at Facebook during this entire process that will take you days uh, because Facebook, in their infinite wisdom, has no customer support. So this is where I will say uh, when they get hauled in front of Congress next time, it almost doesn't matter what it's about. I'm not going to be on Facebook's side because I think that is a major oversight for a tech company is to have no way to communicate with someone. Yeah, especially when you like market yourself to people, you know, it, the ease of using this. On the commercials on TV, they have the, the Facebook portal or whatever, and they have, like, the grandpa with the screen with Facebook so he can talk to the kid. You know, like, they, they really do try to bring in. It's not, you know, just for college kids like it was when they started. They really want all demographics there. The older generation does need some help sometimes. I mean, I can't imagine uh, what, you know, our parents' generation would do in the case that you were in when it was not got hacked. Mention, I, I think I've way. seen it. I think I've seen my aunt and stuff just, hey, here's my new account, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I got hacked. I'm gone. Here's, be, let's be friends on this one now. Yeah, I did uh, create just, a new account mm-hmm. in case I couldn't get the old one back. I had kind of gotten to a point where I was about to give up. And then all of a sudden after, oh, here's the other beauty of it. So it confirms my identity. It sends me a link. Go in. Oh, I can't get past the two-factor authentication. Okay, well, we can't help you. Awesome. Then, as Facebook's protocol apparently changes day to day, uh, you, I go in say, hey, I still can't get past this bleeping two-factor authentication. Okay, well, here, click this. Saying, having trouble. Okay, I don't have that phone. Sure, that's the problem, I guess. Confirm your identity. Okay, use the same form of ID that I use to confirm my identity. And then they said, well, we can't confirm it's you. And I was like, <laughs> that's amazing. So as I'm getting ready to reply to an email that I am almost surely going to get a bounce back saying that's not a deliverable email address, I get an email saying, just kidding. This is the special link. Here's a special password to use. And it finally worked. Again, that took six days. So I definitely don't recommend getting hacked on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> and if you do, I am sorry, because it will be a painstaking process to get it back. 
Well, hopefully, if it happens to you again in the future, I can help you out better than I did last yes, time. Yes, I have gone to the steps of now. There is a thing, and I highly recommend it for everyone. Find, find in the security settings on your Facebook account, you can set up trusted contacts to confirm your identity. Do that. I am hoping that will make this not a six-day process next time and more like a six-second process. But holy hell. <laughs> All right, so what was dominating my life? I actually was unable to watch this. I was tied up with something else. My life's been a little crazy uh, lately. But uh, Virginia Tech soccer, you know, the, the soccer school of Virginia Tech, they took down number one Marshall. Uh, we talked about Marshall winning the national championship last year when they did. Uh, it was, you know, Tech was in the playoffs, and, and then we talked about Marshall winning it. Well, they came into this season ranked number one, still a lot of players there. Tech takes them down at the JMU tournament. They played uh, Kansas City in the opener. It was a weather-shortened game, 2-2 uh, tie, and uh, they didn't get to finish that one out. But then they played Marshall, a big second half, gets them the 3-2 victory. So I'm just I'm pumped for my Hokies. I, I want them to win all, all the soccer games they can. Um, you know, we've had Kasak on the team down there and Stenzel and other local guys from around the area that have played on it. And uh, yeah, I, I want my Hokies to win everything, but especially when you get start getting some some local talent on those teams, I really want them to win. So uh, I was pumped. I was very pumped Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it was nice to see uh, one of the teams that played Marshall win. Uh, it was Virginia Tech. They played very well, took them down. They were already ranked going into that. They beat the number one team. I would imagine that is only going to help them climb. Uh, and hey, the ACC yeah. is a tough soccer conference, but Virginia Tech looks to be ready for that test. Yeah, and, and they're going to get tested more. I mean, just a, their next tournament, they play uh, Friday, September 3rd, and, and uh, Monday, September 6th, they play number 13 UCF and then number 10 Seton Hall. So that's other, you know, solidly ranked teams uh, that'll that'll test them. And, and that's a good thing because going into the ACC season, playing Duke and UVA and Notre Dame. Wake and, Forest. Um, Wake Forest and UNC. I mean, all those teams, you, you got to be ready. So uh, I, I like it. I like the hard schedule and uh, let's, let's roll with it. Let's, you know, we're, we probably woke some people up here. Let's, let's keep rolling. Yeah. What is, and Kasach, what you know I they... talked about Kasach within that Kasach's, Kasach's been tearing it up uh, for Chattanooga down there in that league. We talked when he uh, mm -hmm. signed down there and he's been their Their Twitter account kind of features him every time they play. It seems like there's a highlight or two from him playing and uh, their Twitter. I think today even was like Kasach's been involved with pretty much every goal of the season. And that, that's just awesome. So I'm, I'm glad these guys, especially him coming from Riverheads, maybe in a Riverheads homer. Uh, I'm glad that he's able to go to that you know, higher level and, and still be dominant and, uh, and make it happen. Well, what do you know that we need to know? What do I know that we need to know? I know that I read an article that was pretty concerning out of Roanoke paper. And uh, they talked about Radford's baseball coach and all the trouble that has been surrounding that program right now. He is the former pitching coach at UVA He's been the head coach down there at Radford for a little bit now. And he's having problems with uh, players transferring out, entering the transfer portal, and in the process complaining to the university of how they're being treated and how, um, you know, personal interaction with the coach is going. And you read through it, and I think I tend to come from 
an old school way of thinking. You know, it's, I feel like I grew up in a more, I went to Riverheads and I was coached by guys, the coaches that were more old school. And um, I think I've held on to those values of coaching. So you read some of the stuff and, oh, they got yelled at and this and that. And you kind of like, oh, okay. Like sometimes you're going to have to be held accountable. And, and sometimes you're going to have to react to coaches, negative reactions to your performance. But it went on and on. And it, every player was having these different things. And, and, and it made the players, you know, not want to come play baseball. And it, and it made them, you know, fear uh, the coach and, and, and really not like their life because of what was going on there. And whether this coach or anybody uh, you in the situation thinks, well, you know, these kids need to toughen up and take that. You gotta, you gotta keep kids on the team and you need to be able to motivate players to play at their best. So whether that style, I mean, if that's his style, okay. But is that going to work in this day and age when, with these, with these kids, I I've talked to coaches that still have success. Um, You know, we talked to a lot of coaches after games and, and, and what we do and not coming on the podcast and, and we hear that the, the kids are different than these two, you know, like, and I think coaches in the nineties would have said that uh, comparing the kids from the seventies, I think everybody's always progressing. It's always a little bit different and it's the different world that we live in. I think I, I don't love the reaction from the administration at Radford, just kind of not blindly, but just blanket. We support the head coach. We support what he's doing. We're not taking any measures against him. Um, so that makes me believe there's probably not a lot of physical, a lot of tangible things that they can put on, but I'd be concerned about keeping him as your head coach. If, if he's driving kids away from your program. And also there's these articles in your Roanoke paper where you want kids to come to your school and play, they're reading this. And even if I'm a kid that can handle a little bit of um, adversity, you know, more than what I would say in these kids are, are doing, would you jump into that? Like, wouldn't you be a little more standoff? Like, well, what is going on here? I mean, maybe that's not for me. I, I think this is a problem down at Radford. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that overall issue is like, you got to be able to relate to your players you have and, and the players of today. And it doesn't seem like this coach is doing that. Yeah. Uh, I guess to kind of, I saw the article you sent me, I read it and I, I kind of had the same kind of takeaway when you read it, it doesn't necessarily jump out as, overtly scandalous um yeah no one no one's kicking a basketball at their heads or right you know, like, like or the stuff you've yeah, heard he's from not other throwing coaches. baseballs at them or anything like you don't see anything like that but at the same time like when you have that many players uh leaving the program over that many years it's kind of like how you and i talk about fuente sometimes like all right this is kind of at a number that's alarming seven in one year on a what a 25 man team like what wow yeah for baseball that's a lot and you know it kind of like Fuente I almost don't care what the reason is when you're losing players that are contributing to your team and they're leaving anyway like that's a problem there's no way seven out of 25 none of those kids contribute so to me yeah, I, I would agree with you in the sense that I think that's a problem. It's in the it's in the Roanoke Times, so that's probably where Radford would like to be able to recruit. That's a problem. If that article gets out, other high school coaches see that. It's out. It's out. I mean, well, I'm saying if it spreads around to other areas, it becomes prevalent. Like I know it's out, but 
maybe, you know, people in Northern Virginia aren't looking for the Roanoke Times articles, is what I'm saying. But if high school coaches stumble across that and they're like, uh, I don't know if I do want to send my kid to Radford. Um, yeah, if, I, if I'm another in-state school, even not at Radford's level, if I'm Emory and Henry or, or um, Farum or somewhere, I'd, I'd be throwing that at those kids all the time. Hey, we're having a good time down here at Farrell. We're going to do some winning, you know. Yeah. If you want to go play with that, oh, that's your choice. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's a problem. Uh, and, yeah, I just – I think it's interesting that that – uh, that the Roanoke Times picked that up. I think, you know, that's – we talk about sometimes about how local journalism is important and needs to cover big stories, even when it's maybe involving people that they might like or be friends with, because I'm sure there's people at the Roanoke Times who have friends at Radford University. Yeah, they cover. Yeah. They covered it. That's a big story. That's a problematic story for Radford, but they covered it because that's kind of their job. It's not to be best friends with people all the time. It's to hold people accountable. And it was, I think – an important article because if there's that many people that feel that way about it, then there's probably something being done that could be improved. A lot of smoke. And, and, and I think I, I touched on it briefly. I, I don't, even if you want to keep the coach, I don't like how the administration, how they look in this. I don't like the comments used yeah. and the, and the statements of support. I, I, I think public relations wise, I don't think it looks great for the administration just when there's that many kids oh we're good yeah when i see multiple kids like i loved baseball until i got here like yeah that's a problem that's a huge huge red flag problem so yeah i I think i saw one comment like well these are the kids that just couldn't cut it well like that the coach brought them there like (laughs) like, yeah okay so he he has a habit of bringing kids who can't cut it like that's also a problem (laughs) yeah separate problem but a problem nonetheless all right, so what do you know that I need to know? Uh, Buster Olney's a hack. Um, I know I've talked oh, about this before. I know I've talked about this before, but this time it doesn't even have to do with the Orioles. This morning he tweets about the New York Mets and Javi Baez putting the thumbs down at the New York fans, which, of course, sets Mets fans off because they've been booing Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor. Uh for basically their, their entire Met careers because they haven't performed up to Mets fans' expectations. And the, the players... They have expectations up there? Let them know and gave them a thumbs down. And Buster only thought that was maybe the highest crime that has ever happened uh, in the history of baseball. Is this Randy baseball. Moss moon in the crowd? Yeah, I mean, it was... He's like, <laughs> uh, I don't want to misquote Buster only, so please allow me to uh, stall for a little bit. Okay, it's impossible to think of another prospective free agent making a bigger public relations mistake than Javier Baez did today. Burned one bridge and likely severely damaged his chances with other teams. Francisco Lindor needs to prepare an explanation for his participation, too. When I saw that tweet, I was like, wow, what did Javier Baez do? And I, I then looked it up and was like, oh, he thumbs down the Mets crowd. <laughs> okay. Gave okay. him the thumb finger. I, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I guess Buster only was in a coma for part of this season uh, because Trevor Bauer seems like a bigger PR nightmare to me in a free agent year. <laughs> Araldis Maybe. Chapman also had domestic violence issues uh, in a. I, I think the Deshaun Watson in, in football might be Deshaun Watson isn't a free agent but <laughs> wanted to be traded. Um, He's looking to be on a different team. Yeah. Before, also, on, by know. the way. For Javier Baez, this is not a problem for 29 teams. 
this is a problem for the Mets that he thumbs down their fans. This is if you go ask any other fan base, hey, do you have a problem with Javier Baez thumbing down the Mets fans? They're gonna say no, because I'm not a Mets fan. Yeah. They you think St. Louis give Cardinals have any issue? Yeah. You St. think Louis the Cardinals? Chicago yeah, Cubs fans would love to have Javier Baez back. They don't care that he gave a thumbs down to the New York Mets fans. Also, if there was if Chris Davis gave me a thumbs down after I booed him, I don't care. That's not why I would hate Chris Davis. I don't care. Good for Chris. I wouldn't sit there and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe a player thumbs downed me. So have you caught this evening or this afternoon, like the ownership put out? Like No. Buy it. No. Oh yeah. They've doubled down in, in oh. favor of Buster here. They've said that they're gonna have a, a player a meeting with the players. It's unacceptable for them to uh, be negative towards the crowd. We support our crowd coming and them booing is their right. And uh, which I don't know how Baez giving a thumbs down takes away that right. Um, yeah. Does okay. We, the fans have the love, right to boo, but doesn't Javier Baez have the right to thumb down to go to give him a thumbs down? We love fan interaction when when the guys throwing the baseball into the first row of the stands, the kids catching it and throwing it back. We love that. I think we have to accept a little bit of this. It wasn't it Trevor Bauer that threw the ball in the stands last year <laughs> when he was mad. We didn't like that. I, I don't know. This seems so minor. And the ownership overreacted. I mean, just say, well, I guess we know September is the last we'll see of him in a Mets uniform and let's move on. But instead, it's just it's just making a mountain out of a molehill. And ugh, it's terrible. This is another great point by a Twitter follower. It's been like two weeks since pending free agent Felipe Vasquez was sentenced to two to four years in prison for uh, inappropriate, we'll call it inappropriate relations with a 13-year-old. That seems like a bit of a bigger PR nightmare than a thumbs down. So again, I just say Buster only is a bit of a hack. And maybe this is his new shtick, right? Because young people think he's dumb and old and doesn't know anything about baseball. So he's just going to not know anything about PR now. I just think Buster only he's maybe such, needs to stop. He's such a prisoner of the moment. It's what's what? so obvious with all this trash lately. It's like, this is the worst thing ever. Oh, what's happening? It's like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Like, no, it, there's always other bad and worse. Thumbs and down is literally bad. not even that bad. I literally don't care. I also, you know what players love? Down, the whole horns down thing. Yeah, like, who cares? Like, who cares? What are we talking about? And now we're thumbs down. And like, that's not even like specific to them. It's just like, ooh. You know what players love? The owners coming in and telling them what to do. I'm sure that meeting is going to have zero bad consequences. It goes just about as good as when the manager tells you, like, you know, how not to ever swing on 3-0 because it's the nature of the game. But mm. Oh, my gosh. I am telling you what. Yeah. Mm. Buster only oh. needs to, one, stop writing about baseball because he's just too old. Go sit in your couch and yell at the clouds while you watch. He milks cows. That's game. what he does. That's fine. Go tell your cows about how baseball is dying because of people giving the thumbs down to fans who boo them. <laughs> when it's the actually dying season. because of outrage like this. Yeah, when it's dying because of you. Like, just old dinosaur Buster only. Like, the thumbs down. I can't wait to read an entire – he wrote an article about it today, too, apparently – and published it in the middle of the day. I didn't see the owner's stuff, but that's freaking hilarious. I know I'm not a writer, but if I was asked to write something about this, I'd just be like, nah, like, 
I can't. I can't oh, I would. Yeah, Javi Baez being charged with the high crime of a thumbs down. In other yeah. news, I don't care. <laughs> yes, I'm giving Mets fans a thumbs down because they're offended by a thumbs down. The softest fan base in the Apparently, history. Apparently, I of never thought bases. the Mets were a soft fan base, but this, my goodness. This is the softest thing ever. I mean, my gosh. This is Charmin Ultra Soft. Get thicker skin if a thumbs down is going to send you over the edge. Also, if that's how you feel about a thumbs down, maybe don't boo the guy. I mean, this is the same fan base that was like, all over John Rocker and John Rocker's just having it right back at him. Like that seemed like a back and forth thing. And John Rocker is actually mentally unstable. So that's a person I wouldn't do that to. If, if you're telling me the worst thing that's going to happen, survived. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I don't think like if I'm booing John Rocker, I don't think the worst thing that's going to happen to me is a potential thumbs down. I think he might look at me facially recognize me, wait for a moment to catch me outside of the park, and then maybe murder me because he's a crazy person. If you're saying to me, hey, boo Javi Baez, and he's going to give you a thumbs down, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a fair trade. I don't care. If Chris Davis wants to thumbs down me because I booed him and I don't like him, that's fine. I mean, didn't we just talk about the malice in the palace? Like, Ron Artest went in the stands and started beating the hell out of somebody. Like, Javier Baez just... Thumbs down. Like, that's nothing. That is nothing. It is literally not a thing. I, I and the fact that, that I got reaction from a professional baseball player, like, again, boo. Like, oh, he's thumbs down at me. Like, look, I'm really making an impact. Like, when I saw that tweet, I couldn't believe it. I went searching for it, couldn't immediately find it, had to Google it, and then saw what it was. And I was like, there is no way this is what he's talking about. And it was. That's the insult to the fan base is thumbs downing the fan base. You, you know, at least he didn't say New York is a tire fire and a dump. I can't wait to get out of this hellhole. That would have been something I would have been like, yeah, maybe don't say that. But even then, you know who he pisses off? Them and the Yankees fans then. So then he can't play for the Yankees, which good. Why would you ever want to play for that dump of a franchise anyway? Honestly, the Yankees probably take him right now. He's the anti-Met. Yeah. Well, right now they would because he thumbs he wants down to get Mets paid fans. Good money, Although they, he's going like to thumbs down Yankee that. fans too because Yankee fans boo just like Mets fans. But I, I just – I don't understand. I, I just – that's beyond crazy to me that a thumbs down is what sets Buster only off these days. Well, I'm being the, the most losing team of all time. Those are the two things, yeah. Which we won't be, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, we broke the losing streak. We even won a series this week, so – you we mean, beat Shohei Otani. Yeah. Woo! It just proves you can't. He's yeah, not even that good. You know what that proves? He's not that good. Shohei Otani, not that good. Overrated. <laughs> Don't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the Buster Olney article about how Shohei Otani's numbers mean nothing because he, he's the guy who the Orioles broke the streak against. He couldn't even get the win, even though it wasn't his fault and the guy who came in out of the bullpen blew it. If he was really the, that good, he would have pitched a complete game. Just like Walter Johnson. <laughs> who I'm sure is Buster Olney's favorite player of all time. But that will do it for us here on the uh, Yak Sports Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, Facebook Yak Sports Pod, or Gmail. 
at yaksportspod at gmail.com for emails. Feel free to comment on the posts on Twitter and Facebook. Tell us what you agree with. Tell us what you disagree with. Tell us why thumbs downing a fan base is so horrible. Or tell us how you would like to rest, uh, roast excuse me, Buster Olney for being just a general old man who literally cannot get out of his own way on Twitter. Maybe he's trolling me. I don't know. If he is, he's doing a great job of it. But make sure you subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify so you never miss another episode. For Leland McRae, I'm Joe Deck. We'll be back next week with more high school football talk from Augusta County and what is sure to be a interesting recap of the Virginia Tech-North Carolina game, no matter how the game goes. So, until then, folks, we hope you enjoy your weekend. <laughs> the world is either going to be over see you. or great in, in Joe's eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's either over or it's all sunshines and rainbows. But We're either getting shot to the moon in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> uh, we will be back on Monday. Yeah, we'll record Monday. So probably be back on Tuesday. But until then, folks, have a good weekend. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.